you can open up your Bibles, your apps, what you got to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, I think, yeah, Joshua could grab some Bibles if people are interested. Uh, you can just raise your hand, he'll grab you one. Uh, so, so we've been going through a series uh, called Make Life Better. We've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and, and just so you know, God loves you. God has a plan for your life. Uh, but sometimes better isn't always what you would want it to be. Uh, that sometimes uh, the thing that God calls you to do that will bring you the most joy and satisfaction may lead you through seasons of difficulty or will require even, even self-sacrifice. And, and uh, today's sermon, uh, the idea is uh, that life is better when it's not about us. And, uh, and, and specifically about like me, you could say, right, life is better when it's not about me. And you guys would be saying about yourselves, not about Brian, but you guys probably all agree that life is better when it's not about Brian, but that's okay. I'll, I'll see if I can agree with you, even though you might outvote me that that doesn't matter. I'm getting there. Okay. So, uh, but life is better when it's not about us and, and that we just have, uh, this right potential to whether we are right in a, in a moment of wanting praise from others or in a moment of desiring pity, we, we tend to kind of make our lives us-centric. We have the tendency of, of kind of just putting everything around us and what we're going through in the moment that we are in. Uh, but Jesus points out that that's actually not the best way to live, that we'll, we'll find our, ourselves disappointed when we live our lives that way. And, and what's interesting about the text that we're going to read today, it's about doing good things uh, for at times what could be the wrong reason. And, and so let's just jump right in in Matthew chapter 6. I've got it up on the screen as well. I'm reading from the ESV, uh, the Blue Bibles or New Living Translation. But Jesus says this, beware of practicing your righteousness. And I want to point out that he doesn't stop there because uh, he's not warning us, like, look out, don't try to do the right thing. That's not what Jesus is saying, okay? Uh, although this passage will at first seem no less confusing, right? So he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, all right? So it sounds almost like, Jesus, are you telling me like I should do good things, but just not, not when other people can see it? Like, I don't want people to know that I'm doing the right thing. Is that what you're telling me? What am, what am I being warned of here, Jesus? And he says, right, in order to be seen by them. And so this is uh, potentially interesting, especially with some of the things that we'll look at what Jesus said just a page before, right? That in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So this is an interesting text. Uh, and, and fortunately, Jesus keeps going on, and we'll, we'll investigate what he says about this. But, uh, but I want to point out that he is encouraging us to practice righteousness, right? He does want us to do the right thing. Later on in this very chapter, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and, and his righteousness, right? Live your life in a way where it's about doing things the God way, right? Doing things the, the right way instead of just the things that we would rather do ourselves. And, and I like this word practice uh, that this translation uses, and you find similar texts in First John about this idea of practicing uh, righteousness or, or lawlessness. And, and the idea of practice is what are we trying to do? right? That we should practice righteousness as followers of Jesus. We should be aiming to do the right thing. That's what we're practicing for. That's what we're training for. But sometimes I do want to point out that we and all believers fail. We miss that mark. Actually, the word sin literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term 
So you were aiming to do the right thing, but you, you missed. You fell short. And, and when we're followers of Jesus, our goal would be to practice righteousness, that we would, we would follow him and we would submit to his word and, and what he would call us to do. And, and before we followed Jesus, we were kind of like practicing what we wanted to do, right? Which sometimes would lead us into lawlessness or sinfulness, right? Where we would just practice living lives about us rather than following Jesus. And sometimes we might have missed our aim, and sometimes we might have accidentally done the right thing. And that's kind of how it happens. But, but Jesus' goal is that we would practice righteousness once we become his followers, And he says, right, but beware, don't do it in order to be seen by others. And the New Living Translation, which some of you have, uh, says, right, don't do it to be admired by others. And and Jesus is talking about the matter of motive here. He's not saying that whenever you do something right, you've got to make sure no one saw you do it. That's not what his goal is is, right? And, and, and I think that the, the New Living Translation is justified in their, in their translation because it brings further clarity based on what Jesus says in later passages, right? So it's, it's a matter of motive. Why am I doing the right thing? Do I do what is right so that others will admire me? Am I doing what is right for the sake of my own publicity and fame, right? Am I doing what's right so that people will like me, perhaps, And Jesus says that that's something that we need to be warned of. And then he he says, right, that if we live that way, if we live in such a way that the things that we do, we're trying to build up our own kingdom that will have no reward from our Father in heaven. Not not like half a reward, not like I get to like get the reward and the, the praise of men as well as then like half the the glory that God would give me. No, he says like no reward. He says that life is, right, not better when you live it trying to make it about yourself, trying to build up people's impression of who you are. And, and I want to point out that, that Christians, in terms of this idea of reward, uh, we talked just last week from uh, 2 Corinthians 5 that it's the love of Christ that compels us to do anything that we, we do for the sake of Christ. It's, it's because of God's love for us that we're motivated to do things. It's not out of, of fear of God. It's not out of uh, obligation, all right? It's not out of attempting to get God's favor, all right? The reason we do things is because we are so impressed with how much Jesus loves us when we were not deserving of his love, that we are so just motivated by the fact that he died for us when we were his enemies. That's the reason that we're motivated, Okay, like that's the, the reason that we do things. So, so Christians don't uh, merely uh, try to do what's right because we're going to get like uh, the dog treat at the end for our obedience, right? We, we are trying to do what's right because we love Jesus, right? Because we have fallen in love with him because he has lavished us with his love. And this is what he says, right? That we'll end up having, right, no reward from our Father when we, when we do good for the sake of drawing people's praise to ourselves, right? And, and, the, and in case you don't know, we, we would like the reward that our Father would give us rather than the reward that anyone else could, right? That anyone else could because God is the God who, he's the one who is the giver of every good and perfect gift, right? He is the good Father who knows what you need before you ask it, right? He is the God who withholds no good thing from the righteous, 
right? He is the one who, who gives you the desires of your heart when you delight in him, right? God's reward is the one that we should weigh as being more valuable than the praise and honor that we could get from man. But, but like I said, we, we don't merely seek God for the reward, right? I'm not, we're not trying to like just get to like God's wallet and be like, yeah, hey God, uh, let's hang out sometime. Would you mind covering lunch? Like, would you mind just buying this for me? Like, we're, not, we're not trying to get to God's reward and ignore God in the process, right? We want to pursue God for the sake of God. We want to have relationship with God. And, and when you and I fail to have that uh, desire in right place, right? When, when we go through seasons or, or dry times or, or droughts and, and you might not be all like hyped up and, and passionate about spending time with God, you can be honest with him, right? You can ask him to change your heart and to give you new desires and just, Lord, help give me joy and satisfaction that I can find only in you, right? Help me to just build my life in, in pursuing you, Right? Help me to recognize that there's nothing that this world could offer me compared to time with you. Right? And so we want to spend time with God, and you can be honest with him when you don't want to spend time with him. Right? We see that even in, like, in the book of Psalms in terms of like, the, the honesty that David had when he would be talking to God. Like there'd be times when he'd just be like angry at God or he'd feel like God is distant from him or like feel like just God is just kind of like ignoring him or like, God, why are you allowing my enemies to seem victorious over me right now? I don't understand. And yet, right, God kind of would rather us be authentic than that we would be kind of outwardly doing the right thing but with, with false motives. And God knows when we're going through the motions. God knows when we do things half-hearted, right? We might be able to impress other people, like Jesus says, which, I mean, you get that reward when you get their respect, perhaps, but, but the goal would be to, to just have God experience, right, the pleasure and joy of, of your spending time with Him in your worship, right? right? Jesus actually uh, quoted from the prophet Isaiah regarding uh, the Pharisees, right, where he's recognizing kind of their spiritual blindness and this hard-heartedness towards God. And, and Jesus says, right, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That it's, it's possible to be doing all of these right things and saying all of the right stuff, but yet there can be a distance between us and God. And although it's good to do the good thing, it's good to do the right thing, but we want to ask God to be changing our hearts and make sure that we're doing it with the right motives. And, and so Jesus gives us three examples in this text. And so the first one he gives us is about uh, generosity. So verse 2. I assure you, I'll preach faster through these other verses than I did verse 1. Don't worry. All right, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy. All right, when you give to the needy. So I want to point out Jesus isn't saying stop giving to the needy, right? He's not saying that's the problem, all right, that's not the issue at hand. In fact, he encourages us to be generous and to give to the needy. That when we give and serve others, it's as if we are serving and giving towards Jesus. And he's just asking us to be cautious regarding our motives. He's telling us to change maybe the way that we practice our generosity. Uh, and he identifies the issue as, uh, right, giving to be praised by others. 
all right, which is what that says, right? When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, right? Don't, don't ask people to celebrate or boast about you and, and your good deed. Uh, he says, right, don't do that, right? And, and as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So when Jesus talked about, like, don't do good works or don't practice righteousness in order for others to see you, the issue he's talking about is this motive. Is your desire such that others will praise you because of your good works or that they would praise God? Because like I said, just, just a passage before this, uh, Jesus told us that we are the light of the world that we are a light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And he said, right, to, to go out, right, and, and that, that he wants us to be a light in such a way that, that they might see our good works and that they might glorify our Father in heaven. So it seems as though, like, if, if this isn't about motive, if this was about people seeing the good works we do, it would, it would look as though Jesus contradicted himself. And it's okay to feel that way about the Bible sometimes. And that's just a, an opportunity and a moment to like, kind of like investigate and wrestle through and try to figure out what the Scripture is actually saying. Because in one passage, just a chapter before, he says, do your good works so that others will see it. And now here he's saying, don't do your good works for others to see it. It's all about motive. Do I want people to glorify my Father or do I want them to praise me? Right? And that's the issue that Jesus is pointing out here. Because we do want people to see the good works that we do and point them towards Jesus. Right? The Bible says that for some that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads them to repentance. So if we can show a, a portion of generosity, a portion of God's love to other people, we want to do that so that they will see God. And, and it's not about us. Right? We don't want, like, our goal, our mission isn't to, like, make disciples of Brian. Right? We want people to meet Jesus. We don't need people to meet us. Right? We want people to meet Jesus because he is the Savior. Right? He is the one that loves them unconditionally. He is the one that wants to spend eternity with them. He's the one that has the power to set them free from slavery to sin. He's the, he's the one with the power to change their lives. And so when we do good, right, we should do it for God's glory and not our, our own. Right? That's, that's the key to unlocking this passage and understanding what Jesus is talking about. All right? That's the whole idea. Right? Are we doing things for the sake of praise by others? Right? Like, are, are we doing something good and then like, trying to get the selfie for, like, the, to post it on Facebook afterwards? Like, what, what was the purpose that we were doing the good thing? Was it for us and for our own praise? Because that's what Jesus recognized about the Pharisees. Right? That they loved to be celebrated by other people. And that's not just a critique on the Pharisees. That's all, all of our hearts want that, if we can be honest. Right? All of us want to be celebrated by other people. But the issue is, are we going to give in to that craving? Are we going to desire that people worship an idol that we made after ourselves? Or are we going to desire that they worship God? Right? So we, we, as followers of Jesus, we don't want to do good for our own publicity. And what's even more subtle, all right, this is like how sharp the word of God is at being able to discern kind of what our motives are. We, we don't even do good so that we feel good. 
right? This is crazy, right? The, the world might not have a way of categorizing this, right? There's all sorts of humanitarian efforts out there that are doing good and wonderful and needed things. But sometimes, like, people might just do good for the sake of the, the dopamine rush that they get, right? To, to build their own ego, right? And, like, that's subtle. That is so subtle, right? That, that's like, this, this is what Paul says <coughs> in Romans 15. I think I put it up there. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, all right? That those who have any strength, strength is meant to serve other people. That's the reason God's given you strength, that God's given you your life, right? To, to, to bear with the failings of the weak. And what's this? And not to please ourselves. That when we care for, when we serve, when we love other people, it's not so that I can feel great about myself. Because you do feel good when you do the right thing, right? And like that might be maybe a good initial motivator. Like that might help kids kind of like begin to understand some differences between right and wrong. But if I'm only doing good so that I feel good, then it's not actually about the other person. It's not actually about the fact that I love someone else. It's about me, right? That's, it's about me. Let's, uh, verse 2, it says, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Once again, like, the reason we do good isn't so we feel good. It's for the good of the other person. And then Paul, as usual, makes Christ the next example. He says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That that Jesus was willing to even bear shame in his effort to do good for other people, right? That he was willing to suffer, uh, right, uh, abandonment, that he was willing to suffer, right, public scrutiny, that he was willing to die a humiliating death that was not feeling good when he was doing the most good that has ever been done on this earth, right? It, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about him. And so we as believers, we don't do good so that other people think great of us, and we don't do good so that maybe even it just feeds our own ego, Right, like here, here's an idea is it's possible that someone could be uh, such a philanthropist that they're willing to empty their bank account to right, meet needs of other people, but only because they are so full of themselves. It's actually possible to do that. It's, it's a form of idolatry, and Jesus is willing to point that sort of idolatry out. Let's see. Uh, let's go back to... Uh, Matthew 6, verse 2. I'm going to skip one there, if you could. Uh, so it says, uh, thus, right, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. And then it goes on. He says, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So verse 1, he says, listen, if you live this way, you miss out on the reward of your father. But he says, listen, these people did get a reward. It was just the reward of the praise of other people. And we've got to decide, what do we crave more? Do we want God's approval of us, or do we want, right, others' approval and celebration of us? And not that, like, every instance in life can be categorized as one or the other, right? Not every decision in your life has to, like, offend everyone else in order for you to obey God. That's not how it works. Fortunately, some things, like, overlap between the two, 
right? Jesus, as a young boy, was able to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So it's possible, like, there's doing the right thing might make multiple people happy, and that's, that's always the, that's the best, best times, right? But, but there are other times when, like, we have to make a choice. Do, do I want to do the thing that's going to get the celebration of society, or am I going to live my life for an audience of one? Am I going to live my life as unto the Lord and for his glory and for his approval, or am I going to seek the praises of men? Paul says in uh, Galatians, uh, I think it's verse, chapter 1, he says that if, if I was a pleaser of men, I would no longer be a servant of Christ. That when it comes down to it, if, if you're seeking the approval of others, or if you're fearful of the rejection of others, right? It's not always about like the person who's full of pride. It could be the, the person that's just maybe, right, has a low self-esteem and is afraid of rejection. But if, if we are so concerned about what other people think about us, that we'll actually stop being servants of Christ because we're either serving what we think they want us to do or we'll be serving, right, the, the image that we want them to have of us Right? But in reality, right, we're supposed to be servants of Christ. Let's see, verse 3 he says, But when you give to the needy, so once again, he's pointing out, he's not saying stop giving to the needy because you've got to make sure your heart's right. He says, no, 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 like still give to the needy. All right? Like he wants us to keep doing that. Right? When you give to the needy, uh, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So he's, he's saying, like, let it be done with a degree of, of secrecy. Like, go through even like some effort of, of instead of boasting and, and having trumpets and right, sparklers and fireworks going off when you make your donation, right? Like, just do it in secret. Do it in secret when you're able to, right? Don't allow your, your generosity to, to puff up your own pride or, or require others to praise you. And he says this in verse 4, so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And this is a, a, a phrase that Jesus uses three times in this passage, that your father who sees in secret will reward you. Some translations actually even say will reward you openly. Like there's this kind of like contrast that, that God sees the things that you do that are the right things that no one else saw or no one else appreciates. And even though no one saw it, God might reward you before the other people and they might end up seeing a, a, a an amount of God's grace and favor on your life. That God will reward you for that which is seen in secret. And, and so this is what I want to point out, is that God knows what you're going through. God sees what is done in, in secret. And that can be encouraging when we do the right thing and we feel underappreciated. But that can also be like a little bit concerning when you're like, huh, I've been like doing pretty good at like keeping these areas of my life secret from everyone else. But God sees that too? Yeah. Yeah, he sees that too. Let me read uh, Hebrews chapter 4. <coughs> it says this, verse 12. Uh, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Right? Uh, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, right, the, the, the word of God, because sometimes, like, you, we won't even know our own motives, some, at some points, we're like, am I doing this because this is my idea and I think it's going to make me feel good? Or is this the Spirit of God leading me? 
right? Am I trusting the Holy Spirit as he's leading me into all truth? Like, I need to figure out which this is. And sometimes the, it's the word of God that will distinguish very clearly between those two things for us, right? The, the word of God is able to divide between soul and spirit. So it's like, okay, these are just my, my mind, my will, and my emotions, or is this the spirit inside of me, right, that's desiring to serve Christ? And, and the word of God can distinguish those two things very clearly for us at times. And it says this in verse 13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give an account. All right, that, that God sees the secret things of our lives, whether good or bad, right? That, that God sees that and we all, whether we honor God or not with our lives, are one day going to give an account to the Lord. Right? And, and for followers of Jesus, it's not, uh, he's already paid the penalty for our sin. All right? So it's not like we have to be fearful of, of God or the day of judgment. The only uh, judging that we as believers will face is a judgment of rewards. Like, like the judge at the Olympics, uh, just figuring out, hey, there you go, there you go, you did great on this, there you go. Right? Like, it, it's not a, a fear of judgment of punishment. For believers, because Jesus has fully absorbed the wrath that we deserved for our wrongdoing, for our sin. All right, but but everyone will give an account to the Lord. So we need to believe what Jesus is saying that God sees in secret. That God sees in secret. And check out Hebrews eleven six. It says this, and without faith, it is it is impossible to please Him. That is God. For whoever would draw near to God, whoever would pursue God, whoever would seek God must believe that he is or that he exists, right? Two things you've got to believe about God if you're going to have a relationship with him, if you're going to pursue him, that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so when we hear Jesus say, listen, your father who sees in secret, he will reward you when you do what's right with the right motive. And even if no one else sees it, he will reward you. And we need to believe that about our Father, that he sees in secret and he will reward you. Let's pick up uh, back to verse 5 in Matthew 6. Second example, Jesus says, and, and when you pray, Jesus isn't warning us, you know, guys, the problem is you should stop praying because you're praying for the wrong reasons. That's not what he says. He's just saying, listen, make sure your motives are in the right Place. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. And what is their, what is their motivation? Right? That they may be seen by others. Okay? So like when you pray, Jesus is saying like, listen, you don't want to be like them. You don't have some like fluent prayer life where you're just trying to like impress everyone else right? This is something like, man, Jesus, like, we're the religious people. You're supposed to, like, be celebrating us, and it seems like Jesus is picking on us, right? Like, the religious people, like, we like to be like, man, like, look at me. I'm checking all my boxes, right? We're doing great. Like, I want Jesus to celebrate this, and he's saying, listen, like, no, like, be cautious. Even if you're a do-gooder, right? If you weren't a rebellious person by nature, per, per se, right? you got to be careful because all of us have these potential, right, motives that can be off. And this is what he says. He says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Once again, right, if you want to go, like, pray on the street corner of Wilmington and, like, people will be like, wow, I didn't realize how religious they were. That person is so spiritual. 
That's amazing, right? Like, that's your reward. Like, and I, like Jesus is basically saying, like, I, I hope you like it. Like, that's, that's all you're getting, though. But, like, was it worth it? Like, I don't know. And, and this is what he says. But when you pray, once again, implying that we should have a prayer life, right? He says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, right? And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, so the idea behind prayer is that, that prayer shouldn't be done for the sake of being seen and heard by others. The goal would be that we are seen and heard by God, right? That, that, that's the goal. Like, I mean, none of you can answer my prayers anyway. Like, you don't have the power to do Like, if you're praying in front of me to impress me, like, I, I can't answer your prayers. I've got no ability to do that. What matters is, does God see and hear our prayers, right? That's what matters. And, and, and Jesus is saying, listen, like, don't do this prayer life thing trying to like show off who you are, right? This is the analogy I thought of. What if, because I'm married, this is my wife, Katie. What if every time I ever did something nice for my wife, I'm like, hey, here you go, honey. And then I'm like, just, just a minute, can you smile? And then I take a selfie and post it. And then I completely ignore her for the rest of the day, right? Like, or I'm gonna like say something encouraging and I only, like I'm only gonna do this on Facebook, like other people, right? And, and I'm like, you know, I take her out to dinner and I'm like, all right, hey, click, click, here, look at me, great husband, taking out my wife on a date, right? Like, and, and, like, and, and then like, if I completely ignored her all the other time, she'd start to wonder like, does he love me or does he love like what people think about him? Does he love like the husband that other people think he is? Is that what this is about? Right? And that's kind of like what God is saying here. He's like, listen, like, who are you praying for? Like, like it's like, imagine like God in heaven and like you start praying and he's like, who, who are you talking to? Like, I think you're talking to the people around. Are you like, you're looking at me, but you're saying it for them? Like, who are you talking to right now? What is this even about? Right? Like, he's, he'd just be, just be confused. But Jesus is suggesting that we pray. Right? That we should pray regularly that we should find time and space in our lives to pursue God in prayer. And, and that good news is that God is listening. So you don't have to pray a prayer like, like God, are you there? Hello? Can, did I dial the right number? Like, uh, can you hear me? Right? Like, you don't have to worry. God sees in secret. And God will reward you for your prayer life. Right? That, and, and that's even like just something that like, just so you know, like I'm not saying this like I'm someone who's got a great prayer life, okay? Like, I think there's people in here that are mighty prayer warriors of God that, like, could preach this section of the sermon so much better than me. But nonetheless, like, there is a reward for prayer, right? Prayer in itself is rewarding. Spending time with the Father is rewarding, right? Just being able to, like, spend time with God. Like, when Jesus, right, uh, I don't have time to tell the whole story. When Mary and Joseph, like, were wondering where Jesus was, like, little kid, 12-year-old Jesus, and they lost Jesus for, like, two days, that's scary when you lose God. And you're like, oh, no, like, God trusted us with his son. Where on earth is he? Right? Like, and, and they found him in the temple, right? And he says, like, like, didn't you know, like, where I'd be? Like, I'd be about my father's business. Like, I'm just, like, hanging out with the people that are pursuing God. And, like, that's the idea of prayer life. It's just spending time with our Father, right? That we can just like, I just want to hang out with you, Dad, right? Like, I just want to like try to figure out, I want to be more like you, right? Just spending time with our Father. In terms of one reward I'll give you about prayer, in uh, Philippians 4, 6, 
This is a reward that you can only find through prayer. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? So like when you feel anxious, when you feel worried, use that as an opportunity, as a reminder to pray about it. And, and check this out, and the peace of God, which, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? Like, that's a reward that is found in prayer that you can't get by praying to someone else or trying to impress other people, right? You could have this, this boastful-looking prayer life, and you could be missing the peace of God. Now, I would just want to answer this question. Uh, is it appropriate to pray together. Is Jesus telling us, don't pray with other people? You need people to like question whether or not you even ever pray. Like you need people to wonder like, do you even serve Jesus? Like, do you love Jesus? Like you want people to like just think you're a ghost, like you're an undercover, like no one knows that you pray. And, and we should pray together. All right, Jesus prayed publicly. All right, Jesus, before he multiplied the loaves and fishes, gave thanks to the Father right before the crowd. Right, that Jesus, before raising Lazarus from the dead, he prays publicly within earshot of the community. Right? It's okay to pray publicly. That, that Jesus prayed on the cross publicly, right? Father, forgive them. Right? Jesus was willing to pray publicly. The problem isn't praying publicly. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. If you're teaching someone how to do something, that means you're usually like able to see or hear or be around each other. Like Jesus prayed around other people and taught them how to pray. So like one of the values of being able to pray together as a community is, is that like you might learn more how to pray. Like you might, like, and that's maybe a weird sounding idea, but like if like, if I go on like a double date and I see someone like, man, like I never thought of asking my wife that kind of question about her day. Like, you might learn how to better communicate to your spouse by hanging out with other people. Or, like, by praying with other people, just like Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Or the Bible says John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. You might be like, I never even thought I could ask God for something like that. Right? Like, maybe you had this unhealthy perspective about prayer, and you're just like, I didn't think God wanted to hear my problem. Right? And it just completely changes your perspective. Or, or like the way that someone can pray with boldness the Word of God. Like, I didn't even know I could like quote from the Bible in my prayer and just like know that like this is the Word and the truth of God and this is a reliable promise on which I can stand. Like you might grow in your prayer life as a result of learning from others. And one of the things that we see in, in the book of Acts is after the disciples are, are beaten up and, and told never to speak again in the name of Jesus, what they do is they go back to their church family and pray with each other. They pray with each other that they would be encouraged and that they would have boldness to continue to preach the name of Jesus, right? So like praying as a church is, is necessary, all right? Jesus isn't saying like, well, all right, bye guys, like I guess we'll never pray around each other anymore. Like, that was nice, right? Like, no, 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 like, he we should pray together. Paul, in his epistles, desired that people would pray everywhere and that people would pray without ceasing, right? So, like, at some point in your life, you're, I, right now, you're sitting around other people, like, you, right? You're, you're near people and you can be praying right now. It, and, and it's okay also to let people know that you're praying for them, right? When Peter was about to go through this huge, test where Jesus was like, Peter, listen, like, 
Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Like Satan is literally going to like be attacking you in this next season of your life. And he tells Peter, but I've prayed for you. Right? Or, or Jesus, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, he says, he brings his friends, like, listen, please stay awake and pray with me right now. I need you to do this for me. Right? That, that Jesus asked for prayer. Paul, in his letters, would remind churches and friends, hey, listen, every thought I have of you, I'm praying for you. Right? It's okay to tell people that in a non-boastful way. All right? There's a way to do it where it's encouraging to other people, but hopefully the entirety of your prayer life would not be summed up in only those times when you pray with others. Right? Hopefully like the only times I'm talking to my wife aren't the times when there happen to be other people in the room. Right? Hopefully I'm talking to my wife sometimes when it's just us. Right? And I think I do. Right? Uh, last example. Okay, we're good. We're good. Verse 16, I skipped a whole passage about the Our Father. We, we'll probably check that out next week. But it says this, uh, and when you fast, all right? So Jesus gives his third example. And, and all of these things are good things, by the way. They're all in the category of practicing righteousness. These are good things that we should do and, and be in practice of, that we should find ways to make them a rhythm within our lives. And he says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, uh, let's see, before I go any further, let me just tell you what fasting is. Fasting is uh, choosing to surrender uh, food usually or a type of food for a season in order to pursue God uh, in that time, all right, is, is what it is. And, and you should mix prayer uh, with fasting because if you're just fasting and not talking to God, you're just like starving yourself and that's not good. Uh, but, but yeah, so Jesus is talking about like this idea of fasting and he says, don't do it like the hypocrites who try to make themselves look gloomy and try to like, just like disfigure their faces and like, oh, guys, you don't, I'm fasting today. I'd really like to have that piece of cake back there, but no, not me, I'm fasting, right? Like, and, and like try to like get pity from others or people to celebrate your spirituality. And Jesus says, don't do that. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, right? Like make yourself look good, right? That, you may, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So in terms of fasting, fasting has a reward. Fasting is not, just so you're aware, it's not a hunger strike against God trying to get him to do something you want. All right, it's not like, God, I'm not going to eat until you do this, right? Like, that's, that's not what a fast is. A fast is, is just kind of setting your life in priority. It's, it's in, in terms of the battle between our flesh and our spirit, it's like reminding your body, right, that you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? It's, it's like taking an opportunity to just be like completely victorious over that. Like, listen, like, you can tempt me all you want with other things that are sinful. Food isn't even sinful, and I'm going to surrender that just to teach you a lesson. It's kind of like what you're doing, right? It's just like a, a means of, of setting in right priority, uh, making sure that you're, you're pursuing God for a season in a way that, that you're setting other things aside, even things that are important, right, for a season that you would, right, kind of pursue God. And, and then even just like in terms of like anytime you get hungry, then you, that serves almost as a reminder of like, oh yeah, I should be praying today. Right, that it's kind of like, it's your body's inward like ringtone reminder of like, 
you know, instead of setting a reminder for, you know, praying every two hours that day or whatever, your body will tell you you're hungry and then you'll remember you got to pray. And, uh, and Jesus said this about one of the rewards of fasting in, in Mark chapter 9. He says that some faith will not come out except through prayer and fasting. That, that we will be unable to trust God to a capacity to change our world and environment and to be empowered by his spirit unless we fast and pray. Right, that there's this, on the other end of it, it just allows us to kind of pursue him and, and recognize, right, reality as it is. And what Jesus says is that when we fast, we shouldn't do it for the praise of other people, but I would even put this in the category or the pity of other people. All right, this sermon isn't about people who have issues with pride, like I said. This could also be something where maybe we have an issue about like self-pity, Right? And we just want people to like, kind of like feel bad for us and like that's a type of attention that we can crave. Right? That that's a type of thing that we can desire. And Jesus is like, listen, don't like go making yourself look all sad. Like life is better when it's not about you. And that's the opposite of what you think someone who is feeling self-pity at the time. Right? That's the opposite of what you think they need to hear. Right? But that's what you need to hear when you're in that season. That's what I've needed to hear when I've been in that sort of season. Is that like, listen, like, whoa, 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 slow down. Like, life is not all about you. That like, you need to be doing good for other people for the sake of their good, right? That, that like, if you can focus off your problems and pursue and invest in other people, it's gonna be worth it, right? And so, so, so like our church family, when it comes to serving others in our community, there are people in our church that are doing amazing things. And like as a pastor, I'm just like so proud of them. Like if I could be, I'm like, some of these people are like older than me. So it's not like I'm their dad or anything, but it's just like, I'm just like, I'm in love with what work God is doing through the church family, that the, the body of Christ is, is building itself up in, in love and that people are being equipped for every good work, right? It's awesome. But our goal isn't for this community to meet us. Our goal is for this community to meet Jesus, right? Because we, we don't need them to like see Valley Town Church. Valley Town cannot save them, right? Jesus is the only one who can save them. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus and when Jesus is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself, right? That life is better when it's not about us and throughout this passage, Jesus continually reminds us, right, that that we can be comforted in knowing that we have a father. Jesus' language in this text is, is revolutionary in his time. In terms of religious understanding, the idea that God was a father to like the whole people of Israel was a concept. But the idea that God was my father, like that's different. And I realize like we're used to that idea now because we've been Christians, we've grown up in a culture with like the Our Father and we get the idea. But like Jesus is reminding us continually Listen, you have a father. It's not just like that God sees what you're doing, that God sees what you're doing and is like angry at you or like whatever, like he's gonna try to make you do the right thing. Like, no, 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 you have a father who loves you, right? That's what this whole sermon is, is just wrapped in is familial language, that you have a father who cares about every need that you have. A father who is invested in you, not just someone who's like, yeah, I'll be your life coach or something. Like, no, 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 someone who is invested in you and, and wants to see you succeed because they're your dad, 
right? You have a father who loves you and cares for you that as a follower of Jesus, you've been adopted into the family of God and we have a father who knows what we're going through. We have a father who sees in secret. So if you're going through a season of suffering, right, and and maybe no one knows, God knows that. God knows your heart. God is near to the brokenhearted, it says in Psalms. God is not distant. He is a good father. And when it comes to doing these good works, God sets us up for success, right? God's not like trying to make us fail. God, God equips us with his word and with his presence and with times of prayer and, and with church family that we can be equipped for every good work that he's called us to. He doesn't ask us to do good works that he can then be like, well, you missed that one too. You missed it again. Look at what you did. You didn't do the good thing I asked you. Like he's not some dad that's trying to like make you feel like a failure, right? He sets you up to succeed and he wants you to succeed in this life with the time that you have, with the resources you have, with the people that he's given you, with the job that you have, with the place that he, he calls you to, He sets you up to succeed in that community that you can be a light to that world, right? To that world, to your community, right? That they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, let's pray before we go into into worship here. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can each come before you with boldness, that we don't need to be afraid of who you are. We don't need to be afraid of the fact that you know every secret about us. Because God, you know every secret about us and you still love us. That we can go boldly before your throne of grace. And I ask you, God, that that your word, which is a living and sharp sword, would be able to sever off any sinful motives in our hearts. That God, your word is spoken to produce life and truth in us. And that, Lord, we don't want to be a church that is successful looking, but we want to succeed by your standards. Lord, we want to be a people who serve you, who serve others, who show your love for the sake of your pleasure and approval, God. That, Lord, we don't want to be building up our own names and our own kingdoms. So, Lord, I thank you that because you're our Father, you love us enough to even prune away the hidden things in our hearts that can be out of right priority. And that, Lord, that you don't simply come to, to cut away or to prune, but, Lord, you do it that we would bear more fruit. And it's because you love us. And I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.